good morning. I am Melissa Hunter Davis, founder of Sugarcane Magazine, and this is This Week in Caribbean Art and Culture. And I'm here, of course, with the best hostesses in the world, starting with Susie. Hi, everybody. Susie Wong presents here. And Maria. Hi, I'm Maya Ortiz, curator and also a writer, and I'm at the Paris Museum of Miami. Ladies, this week has been a bit of a dry week as far as Caribbean art news is concerned. Is that a yes or a no? Or did I miss something? Uh, maybe in the um, in the wider realm in Jamaica here, we've had a, a nice kind of little run of small exhibitions. One being an artist-driven exhibition with three artists. One is self-taught to a recent graduates from the art school called Inception. Um, they have their own IG page and it's a, they're, they're marketing the work and the show in a really interesting way. And the work is very interesting. So I really enjoyed that show um, and a couple of others, but you know, that was, that's the important one for anyone listening to, to go and see. Maria, any shows that, that you yes. that you liked? Well, um, I was mentioned, you know, I was recently in Puerto Rico and our forum just picked this show by Susi Ferrer, who was an artist who was born in 1940, a woman artist and that in 2006, who really, you know, was one of those feminist um, artists, very much interested in kind of the political, the colonial and um, abstract expressionism as well. So if you're in San Juan, uh, go check this out, which is at the Museo de Arte y Diseño de Miramar until March 19th. Um, yeah, so I would definitely recommend that. And also right now in Miami, Pan American Projects is having a show uh, that includes several uh, Jamaican artists that you can go see and other uh, Black Caribbean artists. So that's something to stop by on your itinerary here in Miami. And, uh, and this Saturday, uh, there's a new space opening, name publications is opening in Miami, and they are starting with a, uh, a show by a Cuban-American artist, um, which some of you, Rafael Dominic. So Rafael Dominic is going to be having, is going to open this week uh, in their new space, in case um, you're interested in checking that out. What's the name of the space? Na I think it's name from name publications. Okay. So, um, which is this, you know, publishing project or house that uh, Natalia Suluaga and Jim Moreno have here in Miami. Okay. Be sure to check that out. There's always something. There is always something. The Korean <laughs> enthusiast. And I love to hear that. I love to hear that. So these are all fantastic shows. Be sure to, you know what, hit Google, type all this in and make sure to run, not walk to these exhibitions. So Susie, you found something interesting um, online, a new NFT project um, with Caribbean artists. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, yes, it was, I saw it yesterday um, and it's called Island with no A in the middle, island.io. Um, it seems to be, I don't know much about it, except to say it's a Caribbean-driven NFT marketplace. Um, so it looks, I mean, it does have the best of the best in terms of a digital artist in the region and how they're working. Um, I do, I did, I mean, I know NFTs and 
cryptocurrencies and which currencies to buy and how to attain, you know, the wallet and all this kind of language around it. Um, it's quite complicated and they have a great resources page. So if you're interested in NFTs, um, their resources page I found really excellent and it really kind of clarified a lot of things for me and got me familiar with the language. Um, and it's also a submission kind of, it's, they're open. Um, so even the essential core of featured artists on here and kind of collectives seem to be on here as well. It's just a really interesting way. I mean, you know, there's a there's a group of artists in the region that have really been very engaged with the NFT space. And this is the next natural kind of evolution of the work they're doing, um, a who's who, and it brings the Caribbean to a collector or any kind of investment eye um, and younger generations who want to engage with the work because they, you know, they love it. Um, and it's a way they can access it. They understand this world, eh? I really don't, for me, I'm like struggling to grasp it all. <laughs> but it's pretty comprehensive and the standard is really good and it's a really easy site to navigate um, and research what's happening in the Caribbean in the NFT world. And I really like the work. Um, like mm -hmm. before, there's a lot of ugly NFTs out there. So, you know, these are all um air quote pieces that you know i would like to see and i think that you know pleasing to the eye and it seems like you know it's really good work this is like something that i'm interested in and i mm -hmm. like that it's curated because that's yeah. another issue that i think we've seen with nfts is that you know there's such a there's like this large array of work that's you know not curated so it takes a lot to kind of pick out the crap from the good stuff right so this is a really excellent site to go to and it's spelled island dot io um mm -hmm. if you're interested in nfts slide over and um take a peek if you already have a digital wallet i'm sure you can make a purchase so and you also found something really interesting as well um about two pieces of pre-columbian art that were smuggled where they were smuggled out of the dominican republic but they were returned. So we're all having these conversations about repatriating um, work by indigenous people back to their countries of origin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was in art news this week. Um, and I find, I do find it interesting that they kept, they're, they're kind of, they were discovered in Puerto Rico. So somewhere else in the region and it's an official return um, although they're referred to like a special agent. So it, it is like, you know, <laughs> it is this um, investigative kind of historical engagement to find out, because it's really difficult to tell, especially with Taino artifacts and other indigenous histories, you know, where it really comes from. And, you know, because the Taino artifacts in Dominican Republic were far more developed and I, maybe that's the wrong word, far more decorative and mature than say the ones that we have in Jamaica. We only have a handful here. Um, and there is a room at the National Gallery that has Taino artifacts that have been found that are very important. Um, but our most important ones are at the British Museum, which we are trying to get back. I know the government has made a request and that's in process as well. So you just kind of hope that um, the institutional integrity around ownership and acknowledging historical theft <laughs> is, is, you know, can come to the fore in 2022. Um, but it was really good to see, this is an ongoing 
kind of story about returns, which I think is really interesting. There was also the return of some Benin sculptures to Nigeria, I think. Um, I hear in, in that context of, I'm not sure if it's Nigeria particularly as a country, but in one of the countries, there is um, the, the, the next kind of issue that arises is where does it go in that country? If it's returned, does it go to government? Is it an institution? Who claims ownership? from these kind of very fractured nation states of Africa, you know, which were purposefully fractured. So it's, um, it's a fraught, it's a fraught and complicated issue. Yeah, absolutely. But, and for those Taino pieces, were they stolen? Were they purchased on the black market? Did that story say? I uh, know the story didn't go into it. It was just that it had, they had been, um, Da, 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 da. Let me have a look here. Sorry. I didn't think we were going to cover it. So I didn't <laughs> um, no, it doesn't say. Okay. There's no reference. I'm curious to know how that happened, which means I'm wondering if Art News is um, actually their next step is to do a story on that. But I might see if I can ask around and see if I can get somebody to do that for Sugarcane instead. Mm -hmm. so wrote it down like, let's see if we can get that. So, all right, gotcha. So Dr. Kenneth Montague is a Toronto-based dentist, art collector and founder and director of Wedge Curatorial Projects, a nonprofit organization that supports both emerging and established African and diasporic artists. He's been exhibiting contemporary art that explores black identity and showcasing these works within his Wedge collection since 1997 and has served on the Africa Acquisitions Committee at Tate Modern, as well as the Photography Curatorial Committee at the Art. Gallery of Ontario in Toronto. He's currently an AGO trustee and advisor to their new department, which is very exciting, Arts of Global Africa and the Diaspora. Kenneth has also participated as a juror for major photography awards, including the Grange Prize, Bamako Encounters, uh, Scotiabank Photography Award, and has received an honorary doctorate from OCAD University Toronto in 2016 for his ongoing work with emerging artists and young cre creatives. Um, Kenneth has uh, partnered with, well, Wedge Curatorial has partnered with Aperture for a really fantastic publication, As We Rise, Photography from the Black Atlantic, um, celebrating works from Kenneth's collection. And it was recently named <laughs> one of Time Magazine's 20 best photo books of 2021. So congratulations, Kenneth, on this book. It's so beautiful. Yeah, thank you, Suzanne. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask, um, so I think we can start with thinking about, I mean, you've been collecting for a very long time. You're very drawn to kind of photography, although you have diversified as time has gone on. Could you speak a little to, um, you know, this book is very much about community and power and identity and creating kind of visual narratives or exposing the various visual narr narratives in what is perceived as the Black Atlantic, this kind of framework around which um, Blackness in the world has been presented and thought about and um, worked with in, in creative kind of expressions through photography. Can you speak to a little bit about how you got, got started collecting, how the book came to be? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I actually was born in Canada. My parents had just uh, migrated from Jamaica. So, you know, they are early immigrants to Canada, which is an important part of my 
um, story because, you know, there was a big wave of people who came to Canada from Commonwealth countries, uh, you know, Nigeria, India, Jamaica, so forth, Trinidad, but that happened more in the 70s, uh, 60s, 70s with uh, our, our former Prime Minister, um, Pierre Trudeau, the father of Justin Trudeau, who mm-hmm. kind of opened up the door in those multiculturalism days. And, uh, but my parents arrived well before that wave. They were here in the 50s. I was born in the 60s. Um, we went to, uh, my father went to uh, Teachers College in Toronto, but the Toronto District School Board was not hiring Black teachers in the 50s. And so he had to go to Little Windsor, the southernmost Canadian city across from Detroit, Michigan. And that really was a move that, you know, kind of isolated our family. We were like an island, you know, like, and I was the only black kid in the class. It was a very super white part of Canada, but across the river from Detroit, Michigan, you know, it was a sort of a bastion of African-American culture. And at the time I was growing up from, you know, Motown to, you know, R&B to George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic to hip hop, you know, it was just a great time for me as a kid a great place to be and and, uh you know it influenced me a lot in terms of my thoughts around black identity my own identity which was not coming on a platter like my cousins in Jamaica it was something I had to sort of you know and and look for you know (laughs) like reflections of self so I think photography for me was that kind of uh cure you know I remember as a kid going to the Detroit Institute of Arts and seeing that image that Deborah Willis talks about all the time, that couple in raccoon coats, you know, James Van Der Zee, 1930s Harlem Renaissance, and it, that couple with their impossible sophistication, and me, you know, in, you know, suburban kid in Windsor, kind of, that image was just very aspirational, and, you know, I, I wanted to have a longer relationship with it than just seeing it in the museum, even at age 10, and so, it, it became this thing, you know, 20 years later, I'm in dental school and maybe, you know, 20, you know, 20 years later, I'm collecting a lot. I'm beginning to, to, to organize shows in my home in a wedge shaped space in a loft called the wedge gallery. And obviously, obviously it's a kind of a double meaning. It's also about wedging these artists that I'm championing into the, the story of, of contemporary art. So it's that sort of wedge idea and it's stuck as a name. Mm-hmm. After a while, it became nomadic, you know, it became this, because so many people were coming to these Sunday afternoon salons, I'd take it outside of my loft. And then it became, you know, I realized I'm not a commercial gallerist. I'm more about the storytelling thing and more about putting the objects together. Not to say I was a curator, but really the mindset was more about spending a longer time with the work and beginning to think about how the pieces go together. And in a very organic way, I became a collector. And Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, I think it's Thelma Golden, who, you know, I'm quite close with, but when I met her 25 years ago, she introduced me to someone as a collector of Black artists from Canada. I thought, gosh, I'm a collector. And then she said, you know, you've been bringing the global local with all these shows like Van Der Zee and so forth, you're showing in, in Canada for the first time. Why don't you think about bringing the local and making it global and telling your own stories about you know, Black Canada, and I had wanted to do that, and that's work that I was collecting very much into, you know, African-Canadian artistic practices, but 
I guess it took her validation to sort of go, okay, we can get these stories out. And of course, all of this kind of uh, was always under the umbrella of growing up in a Jamaican household abroad. So I had this extremely close connection with and spent my summers in Jamaica. And, you know, because my father was a teacher, we had that time off. So I had this collection that was always thinking about the, the, the kind of artistic practices that are peripheral to the Atlantic, the UK, the African continent itself, South America, the Caribbean, United States, Canada. And that became the theme of this book from Aperture, this you know, photography from the Black Atlantic. And, and that phrase, that title, As We Rise, was something that my late father, Spurgeon Wongi, would always talk about, this idea, as we do well, we should lift up others in our own community. So I think Aperture thought that was an apt sort of metaphor for kind of what I've been doing as a collector. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a kind of a condensed story. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple uh, of root canals in there because I'm a dentist. I still do a bit of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, do you yeah, engage yeah. with dental procedures thinking what you're, what you're going to buy next? Keep away from those root canals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask if there's an exhibition on the horizon with this book. Yes, actually, uh, it's um, not formally announced, but it can be, it can be told. Uh, there's going to be a, a associated touring exhibition featuring you know, a subset of the works in the in the book, and that will be organized by Aperture, by the Aperture Foundation. It will, it will open this fall at the University of Toronto's Art Museum, and then it will move on in the spring of next year to the Polygon, which is a dedicated photography center in Vancouver. And we're in discussions with various institutions. Uh, so this is the time, if you're listening, if there's an interest, we're talking to galleries in the United States, talking to galleries in England, then it would be great if there are other places that are interested because I think the show will have resonance to, to people everywhere. It's a very global view, very subjective, but a very global view as it turns out of, uh, you know, black life uh, as, we, as we celebrate it. Well, you didn't mention Jamaica and the National Gallery in there. So I'm just gonna, hey, just hey, gonna say, right. hey, let's have a conversation. <laughs> Well, O'Neill is, uh, you know, O'Neill is, is one of our writers in the book. He's, he contributed a beautiful extended caption to work that's in my collection from Ebony Patterson. And, uh, and you know, he's, we'll have to put a little pressure on, see if we can get that show to, to Jamaica. That would be wonderful. Yeah. It would be amazing. And we also had um, Teju Cole and Mark Seeley as writers for the book, as introduction writers. Um, and I thought it was very interesting, this notion of care you know, care in how you collect work, care in the imagery itself, the kind of um, ordinariness, uh, tenderness, um, yeah. sophistication, like this whole kind of wide range of things that, you know, is living, but is rarely seen within uh, kind of the black community globally, because it's op often in opposition to a dominant culture. Yes. Um, and I thought this was, it was just so special. Um, is there anything, was it difficult choosing the work to go into the book? This was my big question, because I imagine there's so much more and it's all beautiful, but how, who helped you choose what would go in the book? Is it curated to a particular degree? Yeah, uh, great question. There was a Toronto book team that I assembled that really was uh, instrumental in sort of helping me because, you know, as a collector, they're all my babies and it's very hard to, 
self-edit. I didn't even try. You know? <laughs> that would have been three, four hundred images here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So they took it down to about eighty to a hundred, I guess, here different artists, and and uh, that would be Liz Liz Akiriko, and and Liz is an old friend and someone who's worked with Wedge. She's an independent curator here in Toronto with a former photo editor and has done curatorial studies, and you know she was always raising the flag for our beloved Black Canadian artists. So we, we managed to insert quite a few, you know, probably uh, you know, almost a third of the book are artists that many people will not have heard of who are right. important to, to insert them in a book beside the Gordon Parks and the Ming Smith and the works that people know, you know. So I, I, I think that was great to have Liz on board. Maria Canelopoulos has been my collection manager at Wedge Curatorial Projects and my own Wedge collection for, I don't know, maybe more than a decade. She was, she knows the collection inside out and uh, was helpful. And then uh, Emily Kronig, who is, um, who started as an intern, uh, has done art history. She is uh, Jamaican Canadian and that was great to have her input as she also knows the collection well and does a lot of exhibition work with the collection so so that was great and then we we were really the team that worked with kind of weekly meetings with Denise Wolf who was the longtime editor at Aperture who was given the assignment and her assistant Lana Swindle and and Denise uh who I met on a bus uh coming off a plane from Paris to Bamako back in 2009 I think for the Bamako encounters we just <laughs> <laughs> lots of uh, stories of, uh, you know, drink in hand, you know, chatting with Samuel Fosso and all these great photographers that, you know, were part of the, the Bamako Biennale, which I've been to, I've been a juror there, I've probably been there four times. And so meeting her was very auspicious. And we've always had this long kind of discussion around, you know, what, what can we do with your collection? And then Aperture kind of came at me with this proposal um, a couple of years ago. And it's just been wonderful to work with Denise, who, you know, was the one that really pushed for uh, the title and also um, organized the design of the book by choosing uh, a company called Rational Beauty, a woman named Jeanette Abink, who does Dwell Magazine and all these very contemporary design and, and art magazines and books. But she also, this designer, Jeanette Abink, had the wonderful kind of uh, gesture. She did this great thing to to, to choose a young uh, emerging black typographer named Trey Seals, uh, who has a company called Vocal Type. And he did the custom font that you see as As We Rise. And this, this As We Rise is kind of like, you see the lettering feels like those handmade signs, like uh, I am a man, you know, was like the sanitation worker right. in the 60s. So it has this great reference to you know, black power movements and civil rights, which, you know, this work spans that era right to Black Lives Matter. So we had this great thoughtful team on board with the book and, and, it, and it turned out to be a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. It really, it really is. It's beautifully produced as well. I love the embossed cover. Thanks, Susie. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for that. Maria, Melissa, do you want to ask uh, Kenneth anything about the publication or his collecting practice? Yes, well, Kenneth, it's just great to see you and I'm just happy to, to be here in space with you. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. 
because you know right now in 2022 all of the artists that are in your collection are you know consecrated and, and canonized in a lot of ways but um but when you started that wasn't the case so it, and it was really far from there and i feel like there's probably a lot of collectors right now feeling the way you felt when you start collecting like the artists that are like not in the market they're not being looked at how do you um kind of build the confidence to have this visionary look that then allows you to create such a great um collection yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, it was really always a labor of love and never, um, never about uh, the sort of financial investment. And maybe I had the luxury as a dentist to sort of go, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll buy that work. I, I'll, I'll try that out, kind of say, so to speak. But, but really, they were quite affordable. You know, again, you know, I'm not like the Rubels or one of these giant collectors that can just sort of go, hey, I love this, and I'll, I'll just get the whole show. You know? I had to be very, <laughs> I have to be very stealthy and very thoughtful, and always strategizing, like what work can I put together with what exists in the collection to tell the story that I want to that I want to tell. What works, um, you know, kind of will build on themselves and and be a greater whole. And it was always about, um, this is where the subjective part comes, it was always about reflections of self. So it's very heavy as a collection with portraiture and in the painting side, it's very heavy with figurative, but not because it's popular in the art market now. That's something that happened, you know, coincidentally, uh, increasingly in the last decade. I've been collecting since 1997 and, you know, 25 years ago, you could, you know, buy work from, you know, any of these artists for a very affordable, some of it was like so grossly undervalued that I had to almost think twice and go, gosh, like, like, there's something that's, it's, it dawned on me that it wasn't just neglect, but that it was a, a purposeful kind of oppression, like, you're just gonna like, say that this work is not valuable. It's kind of like, you know, something that that you know we don't understand this as art critics we don't feel that this is equivalent to this so you know it's not even in the market so then you know i would be doing studio visits and trying to be respectful of an artist's wishes in terms of their pricing but also having to give counsel about that and say you know you're you're pricing this at 250 dollars. it should be at least a thousand dollars like you're pricing this and like sometimes i would actually be lifting and rising as we did you know just because you just had to kind of um give something to these artists that didn't didn't get that thing from the art market it was just like a strange time but but now that everything's come rushing in and then there's it goes the other way now there's some absurd values that are being given to these artworks not all of them but some of the artists that have reached that you know art market stratosphere stratosphere it's become a bit strange for instance i wouldn't be able to acquire you know a work by Kehinde Wiley like I got back in you know 2000 and you know three or 2004 there's no chance now like I couldn't mm -hmm. afford it on my dentist salary so it's like some of the works have been priced out of my range as a collector which saddens me because you couldn't do what I did with this wedge collection now on the income that I have you know just it just it just wouldn't be possible so the way forward I think because I you know my real private mission is to to get more black people collecting you know and so 
you know, what you really need to do is kind of follow your heart and look at works that speak to you and make sure that you're not overspending. There are millions of great works by emerging artists that one can sort of um, pick up and start um, telling stories with. And, and that gesture, you know, reaching out to those artists that need that support, not only is, you know, altruistic thing that feels good for, for the artists, it's also, you know, something that should be a guiding principle as a collector, because, you know, you, that way you're not spending so much, but you're, you're acquiring work that, that you love. So it doesn't really matter if the art market ever catches up. If my collection, my wedge collection had the same value as what I paid for all these works over the, the 25 years, I'd still be okay. I mean, it would be something that I still enjoy, brings me love. It will have helped those artists. It would have enriched my life with those relationships, all those artists' visits, all those relationships with galleries, uh, people like Suzanne Fredericks, who I've met along the way. This is like a big lifestyle thing for me. So I think it, it you got to take that money thing out of the equation. That's an incidental thing. It's a happy accident that I've been collecting Black artists who are now being given some sort of props by the market. If it didn't happen, I'm glad I didn't take the money and invest in some McDonald's chain or something. You know, it's like it's like <laughs> something that you love that you live with, you know? No disrespect to McDonald's, but that's not, you know, I'm not that kind of investor. It's like it's about, you know, investing in our own community too. So, you know, I, I think I think it's very clear that there are two types of collectors. You know, there's a collector that you know, is thinking about the work and it's sort of it makes sense. There's a theme. There's something you can identify as a guiding principle. And then there's a shopper, you know, and they just, oh, this is hot. And this advisor says, this is great. And, and the shopping thing really is obvious. You get this very disparate collection. And I think we all know that. And I think that you have to be very clear about who you are, or at least be clear about that journey. Like in my case, I didn't know who I was. It was a like Stuart Hall says, it was being and becoming. I was sort of moving towards something. But I knew that this thing spoke to me and I would always want to have that longer relationship. And that's that's kind of what I mean. It's a spiritual journey as much as as a kind of, a, you know, physical slash, you know, um, practical one. There's, there's a lot of emotion involved uh, with collecting. I took your question and I twisted it. Yeah, so. no, I love that because it goes back to intention intention and also the community you know ultimately through we all play a role in our community and, and that's what we want to like have that kind of basic um human capacity to create bonds and relationships sure. through art so that was great thank you um i wanted to ask maybe one last question because yesterday i was talking to another artist from jamaica who was born in um england and he was talking about um, how Jamaica was always this, um, you know, like romantic place that you heard about and you talk about, um, you were, but you were not there. Did, did you have that same feeling? And is that also part of the kind of impetus of also collecting Jama Jamaican artists um, as part of your, your collecting approach? Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I appreciate that kind of sense of romance and you know a history that speaks to you because you know it's something about your ancestors and you get the stories around the house from your parents and you kind of wish you also could experience this but in my case i actually interestingly had these summers spent in jamaica from maybe age five to 15 
every summer. I mean, I worked on my uncle's dairy farm in Maypen. I, I, you know, was working as a dentist later with my cousin, uh, who's a dentist uh, in Jamaica and, and had, you know, drove around, you know, in the Jeep and sort of went and saw St. Elizabeth where my dad is from and went through parts of, so, you know, I, we had a, a little condo and my parents put me through dental school. I bought a little place in St. Anne's. And so, you know, I really knew Jamaica fairly well growing up and into my adulthood. So there was less about the romance as much as, as kind of identifying in my case that there was a difference between my Jamaican heritage and this Jamaican Canadian or Caribbean Canadian identity that I was kind of, you know, that was in my, my heart and soul and identifying other people, especially artists that, that have and share that hybrid identity, you know? Uh, you know, there are many artists in my collection, Sandra Brewster from Guyana and our Guyanese Canadian or, um, you know, many others who I think have this idea of place that is sort of um, very kind of mobile and, and it's, it's not so fixed. It's very much a combination of where you're from, where you're going, you know, and, and I think that's very obvious when you look at my collection it's like many of the artists that speak to me are i call them hybrid and in my case it's it's almost a tricultural upbringing there was that american influence and of course in my household the caribbean influence and then canada all around me and that that is a kind of a new way of thinking about uh caribbean work that i feel like my, my collection is kind of you know at the forefront of that this new thing of hybrid identity i think it's important to identify it and, and 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 recognize that there are other stories um outside of what we might have read about these new stories speak to me and lots of new writers in terms of fiction and non-fiction that are exploring you know what it means to be coming from some place else you know that that's a big part of my life collection Kind of, yeah. you. <laughs> Rio's like you didn't answer my question. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you, thank you. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah, you did. Funny. You did. Yeah. By the way, it's so great to connect with you, Rio. I mean, I was down in Miami at uh, for for Art Basel, and I was at Pam, and and uh, talked to Franklin. And there are so many people that we have we share orbit with, and you know, so many great shows that you've worked on that. Um, that speak to me and have introduced me to lots of artists. So thank you for doing what you do. You know? Thank you. Thank you. We all rise together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk. Yeah, yeah. There we go. That's what I was hoping for. It's good collaboration <laughs> right there. Kenneth, thank you for joining us. I do have a question for you. I will send yeah. you a message through Instagram in your okay. name. So um, a question that I have about collecting. So, but where can we find the Wedge Collection? All right. So there used to be a physical space, this wedge gallery. I moved out of that space. Uh, I live in a loft now that has a lot of the artwork on display. Um, my partner, Sarah, is a art consultant and a, a museum educator. And, um, you know, we have two young boys, so you can't always put up all the work when your five-year-old son's going to throw a football and, you know, destroy the painting. So I'm, <laughs> unfortunately, at this moment, a lot of work's in storage locally in Toronto. But a lot of it is at my dental clinic, and the patients love to see the 
changing works all the time. Uh, we've got a beautiful Paul Anthony Smith that's, you know, of, you know, the Caribbean Day Parade in New York that's in the, the office right now. And lots of work by Jamaican intuitives, Albert Artwell, Dolores Anglin, um, you know, others that are, are part capo, of- man. You can't leave out your capo. Hello. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just got my capo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Courtesy of. And, uh, and that work has just been framed and will be going up in the waiting room as well. So I'm really trying to introduce people to the work through, you know, just and make the workplace a place where I feel safe and happy and comfortable. So I show the works and they rotate a lot at work at home. But um, more importantly, I lend a lot of work internationally. So you know, I've got a beautiful Lynette Yadambachi painting that's sort of in, in, in Europe now. It's part of a, a mid-career retrospective that the Tate has put on. I've lent that work and always lending works. And you've lent Ruddy Roy's work and Renee Cox and other uh, Caribbean artists as well. So I keep that door open. I think it's important to share it and, and uh, it ain't doing nothing in storage. So, you know, we try to get it out and, uh, and, and have it be in the world so that people can enjoy it the way I do. So yeah, good question, Melissa. Thank you. And then, so if we can find some of your collection at your dental clinic, if somebody is looking for a new dentist in Toronto, where do they go? <laughs> yeah, but if you if you want to really see, a, you know, example of some of the work in the collection, you can go to wedgecollection.org.org, and, and a lot of the works are are there. Not every work, but example from each artist is there, and I think that's. That's a good place to start. And of course, you gotta get As We Rise, yo. Yes. Yeah. You can't play. You can't play. You gotta, you gotta get the book. You can't be listening and nodding your head and going, all right. Yes, <laughs> you can get, yeah, you can get the book uh, anywhere now, local bookstores and right to getting it uh, from the big, big online uh, purveyors too. So. And you definitely wanna buy it at Amazon, at the Amazon link that I will provide because that money goes to where? Sugar Cane Magazine. You're oh, that's a good move. <laughs> good move. So that's, that's where we're going to get this one. <laughs> and if I can put it on this little podcast description, you'll see it there as well. Uh, that's great. And then where can we find you on Instagram? Uh, well, I'm at, at Dr. K Montague. So at D-R-K-M-O-N-T-A-G-U-E at Dr. K Montague. All right. So be sure to follow Kenneth on Instagram. Maria, where can we find you on IG? You can find uh, me at Contemporary Chica. And Susie? Uh, Susie Wong presents. And of course, definitely Sugarcane Magazine at Sugarcane Magazine on Instagram. And then you will find my link in that bio. Somebody told me that I should actually push my Instagram more, but whatever. You already know we go through this every, every episode. All right, so you know, making sure that we we wrap up, um, be sure to follow us. If you have not downloaded any of our past episodes, our last episode with Bonnie Ramirez is up. You can download that episode. You can follow us, subscribe, leave us a bunch of stars, five, 10, 15, 20, all the stars. You make sure that we can run this tab up, run everything going and be sure to share our podcast with your friends. Thank you so much for joining us for this week in Caribbean art and culture. Have a fantastic week.